so long, for so long. Gotta get a little light inside. So last weekend, uh, my son Aiden went with his father, and so I had Nier at home. Aiden is 11, Nier is 5. And Aiden's best friend Dylan, who is also 11, lives down the street. And sometimes he'll come by and he'll hang out just because, you know, I'm lucky enough to be that house on the block where all the kids congregate. So Dylan and Nier were here, and I just love turning on music, and then all of a sudden I'll get really silly and act like a kid and... and you know, start dancing around and everybody joins in and it's a lot of fun. And that new summer hit song, I Can't Feel My Face, came on. Now, every time it comes onto the radio, I can never understand why this guy can't feel his face. Like, what's the deal with him not feeling his face? So I actually stopped and asked the kids, why can't that guy feel his face? I don't know. Did you do? Why do you think he says, I can't feel my face when I'm with you? Because it's on top of him. Maybe. I don't know, Dylan, what do you think? I think that he he recently went to the dentist and the dentist messed up really bad. And instead of numbing his gum or his tooth, they numbed his whole face. I love moments like that. When you just turn on the radio and you just start breaking out and singing and dancing and it's just so much fun. I mean, I can't remember a time that I was not singing and dancing, even as a kid. I always loved music, whether it was playing piano or listening to opera. I was not a normal kid. Or pop music for my little pink boombox. I used to always watch the ice skaters perform during the Olympics in awe. And one of my favorite things to watch was the Barishnikov version of the Nutcracker around Christmas time. But my favorite was the ballroom dance competitions on PBS back when we didn't have shows like Dancing with the Stars. When I turned 22, I was living in Bryn Mawr, which is right outside of Philadelphia, and I had just finished working as a teacher's aide in a charter school in Chester, Pennsylvania. But I decided to leave once I saw a gang of teenagers pull guns on each other as I happened to be walking between them to get to my car. I loved working there, And I loved the kids, but I loved life more, so I left. So I needed a job, and I needed one quick. I remember watching one of those ballroom competitions where the women had gorgeous legs up to their eyeballs, and the men, the men were just so well-dressed with their tight white shirts and their tight pants, and just the way that they held themselves was incredibly sexy. And so right there and then, I decided that was what I was going to do. So the next day, I called up my local ballroom dance school and got an interview. Soon, I was training to be a teacher. I got the entire syllabus, and I went to work. Soon after that, I started teaching classes and training with some of the world's best. Fly me to the moon. About six months into teaching, I went to a ballroom dance conference in Tyson's Corner, Virginia. This is where the teachers all went for a weekend of training, awards, and lots and lots of partying. The first night I arrived, I had no idea what to expect. I mean, if you remember Dirty Dancing, and if you remember the scene where Baby was introduced 
the kind of the, the back room of where the dancers were hanging out. And if you remember her apprehension and awe of her walking through the room, watching the way these people were dancing, well, in this case, I was baby. I was the newbie, and I didn't know nearly as much as the rest of the people there. I walked into the hotel ballroom for dinner. I was dressed to the nines with the rest of my dance studio. Soon, I was approached by a handsome man by the name of Lee. I remember he walked across the ballroom, and it was almost as if a light just kind of came on behind him as he was walking. All I needed was just the wind to start blowing. And he walked up to me and he says, Um, would you like to dance with me? And I said, well, you know, I don't really know how to dance. I'm really new at this. And he says, no, 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 it's okay. I, I don't, I don't either. And so he proceeded to walk me to the dance floor and we danced and he made me laugh and he was hilarious and he was not new. He was definitely not new. He was a great dancer. Soon after we left the conference, I began getting phone calls and they were from Lee and I would call him back and back and forth and back and forth. At the time he lived in Queens, New York and I was still living in Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania. And after, you know, a few months of being separated from each other, I just realized that, oh my gosh, I can't. I can't stop thinking about this guy. He's the first thought in the morning. He's the last thought at night. Um, I would think of his name or I would hear the phone ring and my heart would stop. I just remember every time I would hear a love song on the radio, I swear that they were singing it for us. Sometimes I would be walking around and I would just smell a little bit of his cologne and I would stop breathing. And so I finally realized that I was head over heels in love with this man. Why do birds suddenly appear every time you are near? A few months later, I moved in with him in Queens and started living what I thought was a dream. I was in love and working at the flagship for the dance studio company on Fifth Avenue, and, and I soon started competing with my students. My life consisted of dancing full-time, teaching classes and various students, and being trained by the best. We even performed on subway platforms while waiting for our train to get there every night. I mean, it was just, it was amazing. It was an absolute dream come true. A few years later, I was in California, and I was visiting some friends, and... I went out one night on Sunset Boulevard, and there was this great country bar there, and they had a mechanical bull. I've never been on a mechanical bull. Let's do this. You know, I'm never one to shy away from challenges. So I get on, I last a few seconds, and I go flying off. And I'm doing tequila shots all night, and so I get the bravery up again, and I get on the bull, and I last even less time. Go to sleep that night after stumbling home, wake up in the morning, and I have the mother load of all hangovers. 
And I said, okay, I just need to baby myself. Let's take some ibuprofen and just relax for the day. It didn't wear off. So I relaxed all day, went to sleep, woke up the next morning. I still had a hangover. Like, well, this is a little strange. Why do I still have a hangover? This is, this is crazy. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to take another day and relax. Well, by that evening, I couldn't stand the smell of garlic and onions. I just wanted to throw up. And I remember my friend saying to me, whose place I was staying at, are you sure you're not pregnant? And I went, no, I'm not pregnant. There's no way I'm pregnant. But could I be? Maybe, no, I got a hangover. It's just a hangover. Went to sleep the next day. I still had that hangover. Went out, bought a pregnancy test, peed on the little strip, comes back positive. Like, no, this can't be real. This isn't real. Let me call up the doctor. So I happened to be staying in Beverly Hills and I called up uh, the doctor on Rodeo Drive. Why did it all end? I found out I was pregnant. Welcome to Loud Mute Radio. I'm Lois Perslowski here with our bright star, Barb Rettenbach. Hold on, she's typing. Not our show, you. <laughs> Not our show, you idiot. Right, right. This is not our show. It is an ad for our book and our show on Jennifer's podcast, Big Girl Panties. Got it. Okay, please listen to Loud Mute Radio. It's a fun and very educational podcast. And one of us is uber smart. And uh, hold on, Barbara's typing again. And the and the other and the other talks. Okay, very good. Uh, Yeah, one of us is uber smart, and and as Barb says, the other talks. Find out more about our book, our show, and us at www.mulemuseproductions.com. Please tune in to Loud Mute Radio for all your psychological and nonverbal autistic needs, plus a whole lot of brilliant guests who are excited about what they do. And now buying our book, I Might Be You, An Exploration of Autism and Connection by Barb Rettenbach and Lois Prislowski, Ph.D., is also a great idea. Barb, please end the ad with one of your trademark moments of silence. But February made me shiver With every paper I'd deliver Bad news on the doorstep I couldn't take one more step I can't remember if I cried When I read about his widowed bride But something touched me deep inside the day The music died. I stopped dancing soon after because I just couldn't do it any longer. When you're ballroom dancing, especially when you're teaching, you're usually teaching in anywhere from two to three and a half inch heels. Just wasn't easy to dance in those heels all day, especially when you look like a dancing hamster. And the hours just wouldn't be conducive to having a child as a single mother. At that point, I had settled in on the fact that I was going to go through this pregnancy alone. Now, I had my family. 
I absolutely had my family, but what I mean by alone is partnerless. So this was new territory for me. Not only was I alone, but I was pregnant, and I had no idea what to expect. Every day I had been throwing up, once, twice, three times, and they kept saying, after your third month, you're going to be absolutely fine. And a lot of the time I could just cough it up to grieving the relationship that I had just lost. My life partner and the entire dream that I had with this man. And it was interesting because I fluctuated between deep grieving and deep sorrow to excitement of having the child. And then another moment, all I wanted was just to connect with that child. So I would sing to my belly and I would take pictures of my growth every month and record everything. My size, how I felt, uh, what it was like to hear his first heartbeat. Hearing his first heartbeat was incredible. Just incredible. You know, you don't realize that you actually have a life growing inside you for the first three months other than morning sickness and, you know, major munchies. You don't realize that there's actually a life inside you until you hear the heartbeat. So soon after that, around the five-month mark is whenever I found out that I was having a boy. And I was so excited. I was thinking about all the names. And one of the great things about going through a pregnancy by yourself is that you don't really need to, you know, agree on a name with a partner. You can just really just make it up yourself. And if you like it, then you like it. And it's fantastic. And so I decided to name him Aiden. And what it means in Gaelic is fiery. And I knew after everything that I had been going through that this kid was going to be full of fire and full of life. So after the five month mark, you're really just smooth sailing to the end or so you think. You just keep growing and growing. But this was my first child. And at that time I was 26. Before that, I had had a dancer's body, so still at six months, I really wasn't showing. I remember going to the gynecologist and or the OBGYN, and I showed up in leather pants. I'm sexy and I know it. What did I know? I didn't even know what it felt like to to have a bigger belly but soon after that probably around seven months is when I started showing a little bit more so much so that I couldn't wear those leather pants anymore and I had to go out and get maternity clothes now if you've never worn maternity clothes they have this awful fabric that is in the front um, and it's it it reminds me of you know something like like granny granny pants I guess is what I'm I'm thinking in my head but they had this strange mesh in the front to cover and, and your entire belly and just kind of grow with you and I remember putting them on and thinking to myself you know I th- these are actually pretty comfortable so I get up to about eight months and now I'm getting uncomfortable I have heartburn every night I need to lay on my side I can't lay on my back anymore because every time I lay on my back, I can't breathe. 
And it was in the middle of winter, so I was really lucky. I could just wear oversized sweaters and, you know, whatever, whatever I needed to that was just a little bit bigger than me. And at that time, um, it was impossible for me to get a job. See, when I came back from California, I came back to no job. I had quit the dance studio to move out to California for a month. And my job searches ended up with nothing because I felt like I needed to tell them that I was pregnant and what to look forward to. So nobody was hiring me because I was pregnant. So there I was, eight months pregnant, without a job, and living with my family. I had no idea how to take care of myself, let alone have a child. The next month was spent focusing on how uncomfortable I was, how excited I was, and how nervous I was to give birth. Now, I had known intellectually that millions and billions of women before me and millions and billions of women after me will be giving birth or have given birth, so I'm sure that I could survive it. But still, I mean, how many times have you heard mothers talk about labor pains and how incredible they are and it just awful and it's the, it's the worst pain you could possibly ever imagine. But at that point, the only pain that I could have imagined was maybe a loss of a limb, but I hadn't lost a limb, so I had no idea. Your mind goes all sorts of crazy places whenever you're ready to give birth. One day, two weeks before my due date, I started feeling pains. And the pains were a lot like cramping. And they would come, and then they would go, and it was nothing that big. But I said, you know what, maybe I'm in labor. So I ran to the hospital and I said, okay, I think I'm in labor. They're like, okay, that, that's great. Well, how, how often, how far apart are they? I'm like, I don't, I don't know, maybe five minutes. They're like, you know what, um, you know, you're a little dilated, but you really need to go home. You're, you're not in active labor yet. So I go home and I'm waiting and I have my bag packed and my family is just waiting with bated breath. And everybody falls asleep, and I ask um, my son's father, you know, come and participate, and he shows up. And so everybody's just kind of sleeping under one roof, and 2 o'clock in the morning, I had had it. I had enough of this, you know, every two minutes, every two and a half minutes, every three minutes. I think it's time to go. I'm done. If anything, just get me to the hospital. I'm, I'm tired of this. <music> On her way to the hospital, my aunt stops and she decides that she needs to grab her knitting so she runs back into the house. And um, my son's father, he decides he needs to stop and get coffee so they stop and get coffee and I just wanna get there already. So it was a little manic in the car. I wanted to get there, I'm screaming at everybody, just get me to the hospital. And they're laughing and always wanting to stop here and there. So I finally make it into the hospital. And there I am, I'm in this bed, and this room was just amazing. I gave birth at Stony Brook, and they have these transformer-type rooms where, you know, a light comes down from the ceiling, and then all of a sudden the table comes up and it transforms into this, I don't know, like a Decepticon, really. The, the legs come out, and your, your legs go out, and all of a sudden this table pops up in between your legs, and I've just never seen anything like it. 
a one thing that men, if if you're listening to this, that you don't understand is that, you know, there is no qualms about doing whatever you need to do in order to get a baby out of you. And that means anything. You don't care who is watching what, who sees what. I mean, those nurses, my, my ex, my aunt, they saw more of me than I have ever seen of myself. Whatever it took. 23 hours later and three and a half hours after pushing, my son Aiden was born. And the baby comes out. They're a little purple, bluish. Their head is very um, conical. And they're slimy. They're slimy. But you don't care. Because all of a sudden, this thing that you have been carrying inside of you for nine months that has been a part of your body that you have been waiting for and dreaming about your entire life is here. And the child is on you and you can feel him and you can smell him. And just, you are just flooded with emotions. It's so funny. I remember saying to myself, and this is, this is what it sounded like towards the end. Oh my God, is he mine? Is this really mine? Was this really inside me? This is my baby. They're going to let me keep him? Do I get to take him home? What if I'm a bad mom? Oh my gosh, what do I do with him? What if I drop him? Oh my God, is he mine? Is this really mine? Was this really inside me? This is my baby. They're going to let me keep him. Do I get to take him home? What if I'm a bad mom? Oh my gosh, what do I do with him? What if I drop him? And just a flood of emotions and a flood of questions and I don't knows and God, I love this child and... Just so many things come flying in your head all at once. It's quite awesome. In the actual terms of the word awesome, it is awesome. So I just remember after I gave birth, they took him and they cleaned him up and they did what they needed to do and they brought him back in his little plastic bassinet, you know, a hospital bassinet. And I couldn't sleep for the next two days because I stayed awake just staring at him right next to me. I raised my hospital bed to be the same height as the bassinet, and I would just stare at him day and night. I watched everything. I watched the way that his chest breathed to make sure that he was still alive, and I just was in such disbelief that this was my child, and they were going to let me keep him, and better yet, they were going to let me take him home, but holy shit. What if I get it wrong? What if I do it wrong? You know, all of these just kept repeating through my head throughout the days, but ultimately it was just how beautiful this life was. Even though my life didn't look like the dream I had before, it became a different one. I learned what unconditional love really is. I learned that no matter what had happened in my life, that I could persevere and become a victor, not a victim. And the choices that I make, no matter how hard, are ultimately okay. And sometimes they end up being the best decision to make. My life began at the sound of the heartbeat in my belly. I'm so much more because of that little boy who is now 11. So if you're facing some crazy, unrelenting, troubled times in your life, understand it's all temporary. And when the dust settles, you might be left with something more than what you could have ever imagined. And with that, I encourage you to get out there, put on your big girl panties, and connect with your world.
And if you want to connect with us, you can find us on Facebook. Until next time, this is Jennifer Hodugatz. Blackbird singing in the dead of night. Boom, 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 Take these broken wings and learn to fly. Boom, 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 boy, your life. Boom, 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 you were only waiting for this moment to arrive. Beep, beep, beep. Blackbird singing in the dead of night. Ding ding song in my eyes and learn to sing Ding dum ba dum Um ba dum All your life Um ba dum Um do do We're only waiting for this moment to be prayed Beep 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 doo blah Eh heck burr Her her fly Doom beep beep doo Beep dee boom boom blah Eh heck burr Her 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 fly Doom boom beep doo Yes a light on the top like night Blank birds sing it in the dead of night Take these broken wings and learn to fly Night, 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 night.